that you're here. Glad to be here. Would you give the team a round of applause? This morning's done a super job. And there's a whole bunch of you in the lobby, and we apologize for that, but we're glad that you're here in the lobby as well. And um, Sunday, November the 5th, is when we start the fourth service, two simultaneous 10 o'clock services. There'll be a service in here and a service in the wedding chapel at the same time, and I'll tell you all about that in October, okay? Yeah, that'll be good. That'll be good. Um, So two or three times a year, Danita and I take off for, you know, two or three days, and I, I plan. So I do planning, and I plan the big picture. I get away and do like four or five months at a time. Six months ago, the sermon for last Sunday that I was going to preach on was on Jesus in a boat in a storm. That's exactly the providential verses that God led me to six months ago. Six weeks ago, I wrote that sermon. And so I want today, we're going to talk about those verses, the wind, the waves, the storm, Jesus in a boat. But I thought, how providential. So what I want to do first is... Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. You can do it in your phone. You can do it in your Bible. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And I'm going to read about seven or eight verses out of chapter 4. Then I'm going to read for us about 17 verses out of chapter 5. We're not going to go into chapter 5, but I want you to get the big picture. I want you to get the context of where we're going. So if you would, stand up with me. Mark chapter 4. And I'm going to start with verse 35, and you can just kind of follow along or just stand up and look intelligent, okay? (laughs) All right. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Say other side. side. Say "Other other side. That's a key couple of words for this. Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. That's like one of the coolest verses in the entire Bible. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. All right, that's what we're going to talk about, but here's the bigger context, chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerizines, and when Jesus got out of the boat, so they went now to the other side of the lake, they got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, for he had uh, been bound, for he, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, in God's name, do not torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. 
and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those telling the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Then those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man, and they told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Turn to two or three people and say, I'm going to the other side. I'm going to the other side. (laughs) Tell people, I'm going to the other side. (laughs) All right, have a seat. You've already gone. Have a seat. All right. So we're in a brand new message series called Worth Fighting For. We're going to be in this series until December the 17th. There are some things that are not worth fighting for. If you've been married over 20 years, raise your hand. Are there some things not worth fighting for in your marriage? Are there some things you just don't have the energy to fight for anymore, right? Just let it go. Say, let it go. Let it go. There are just some things that's just not worth it. However, there are some things that are absolutely worth fighting for. And we're going to talk about those things during this series from, from now until December the 17th. This morning, we're going to talk about storms. And everybody in the room has just gone through a storm. And everybody in the room has storms. And everybody in this room has had storms. There's only three positions in life. Number one, you're in a storm. Number two, you're coming out of a storm. And number three, you're about to go into a storm. Those are the only three positions you will ever have in life. You're in a storm, you're going into a storm, or you're just now leaving a storm. Everybody in the room understands storms. How did you do with Irma? So fun. This morning, this guy said to me, he said, I never lost power. I said, that's great. He said, no, 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 I didn't have electricity for four days. He said, I had the Holy Spirit the whole time. It took me a second like you to get it. But that was pretty good, wasn't it? So we're going to talk about storms this morning. And I'm not going to talk about your storm. Because there's a hundred different storms. Everybody in this room has had some type and many types of storms. There's medical storms, there's health storms, there's emotional storms, there's psychological storms, there's job storms, there's occupational storms, there's school storms, there's relational storms. There's a hundred different kinds of storms. I'm not talking about your storm this morning. We're talking about storms in general. And if you go to the other side, you will forever be changed. Now, the temptation is... I don't want to get in the boat. The temptation is, I don't want the storm. The temptation is, I want to go back. I don't want to experience the storms of life. The problem with that is, 
If you never go through your storms, you will never be transformed. You will never grow. And Jesus is inviting you to get in the boat with him and to go to the other side. Well, 13 days ago on that Monday morning, Florida was looking pretty good. Irma was way out there and Irma was on the other side and Irma might come up the East Coast and, you know, some of those folks might have a little bit of trouble, maybe not, but Florida's looking pretty good. But by Thursday afternoon, when a weatherman says, oops, you know you got trouble. And by Friday evening, it had kept scooting over west, 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 and by Friday night, Saturday morning, we knew we had a problem. Everybody in the room knew we had a problem. Just go to the gas station Friday night. <laughs> Try to go to Publix on Saturday morning. Everybody in the room experienced a physical storm of, of, of great proportions. And we know what that's like. Saturday morning, I was out here in the lobby with our senior leadership team, and several were on the phone with us. And we unanimously decided to become a shelter. We unanimously decided that this would become a private shelter opening up 8 a.m. on Sunday morning, something we'd never done before. And so by the time we got home and then slept a few hours early Sunday morning, my family now is trying to put our lives together and get everything going. And about 7 a.m., Ethan gets a phone call from the director of the youth sheriff's ranch who said, we thought we could weather the storm. We got 25 kids and several adults. Can we come with you? Now, a private shelter means we open up, but there are no goods and services provided. There's no food. There's no bedding. There's no pillows. There's nothing for them. And so Ethan's on the phone saying, Dad, can they come? And I said, yes, absolutely. And my next thought was, how are we going to do this? How, Lord? This is your problem now, God. I, I'm in this, but this is really your problem. And then the Harborsiders came. We opened up. Half the people were not Harborsiders. But Harborsiders came and just welcomed people, greeted people, and instantly started organizing the rooms. These were for kids who had allergies. These were for kids who didn't have allergies. These were for pets could come here. Pets could not come here. And our hallways were lined up just head to toe, head to toe, head to toe, pillows and blankets and people and dogs and crates and cats, and we don't even know half the people. Harborsiders got it done. They brought food. Somebody brought hundreds of hot dogs and hundreds of hamburgers. We cranked up the propane tank. It blew out twice, the grill, cranked it up, and, and all of a sudden, I mean, it's like we're having a party, and in this room at one o'clock, we had a worship service. In the, we lose power at 4, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm actually watching the Colts game on somebody's computer. That's how I knew the power went out. The Wi-Fi died. <laughs> and from 4 o'clock on, we have no more power. 8 o'clock out there in the lobby, we have this amazing worship service with flashlights and candles. And all these harborsiders just got it done. Volunteer security. We had guys upstairs, guys downstairs who did not sleep a wink that night who were protecting you, protecting the church, and protecting the community. And it was absolutely awesome. Awesome. Yes, we would absolutely do that again. Storms. You learn some things about yourself. That's what a storm does. A storm doesn't build your character. It reveals your character. 
How'd you do? How was your selfishness quotient? How, how, did you panic like everybody else at the gas stations? Did you, did you, did you share your food? Did you hoard your food? How, how, how did you do? See, the, the interesting thing about a storm is, medical storm, occupational storm, relational storm, Hurricane Irma, you always learn something about yourself. And you always learn about your faith. And you always learn about your values. And you always learn who you put your trust in. And you always learn what's most important to you. And so Jesus says to them, we're going to go over to the other side. They'd never been on the other side of the Lake of Galilee. Nobody, good Jewish boys, don't go on the other side. That's where the Gentiles are, the pigs, right? That's where they had the herd of pigs. So consequently, they didn't go the eight miles across the lake. You're familiar with the west side of the lake. You're familiar with Nazareth and Chorazin and Bethsaida. And you're familiar with Capernaum. And you're familiar with where the Beatitudes were and where Jesus preached the great Sermon on the Mount. You're familiar with the west side of the lake. But you're not familiar with the east side of the lake. Because that's not where you went. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to go to the other side. Now just imagine in your life, if you're always all knotted up with every storm, And you're always all freaked out with every storm. And you always put all your hope and trust in people and other things, in Dr. Phil or Dr. Ruth or Dr. whoever, okay? Just just imagine if you put your faith and your hope and your trust in the King of Kings. Jesus said, we got to go to the other side. And then it tells us what the other side really looks like. Now, that's a picture of the other side. And that's where chapter 5 actually begins with this guy who's demon-possessed and the the herd of pigs and all the Gentiles are on the other side. One year ago, a team of us were in Israel and we actually took a bus all the way around the Golan Heights and we came around to the other side. And it was amazing to see this. And the other side is, like I said, maybe seven, eight miles across. And as you go on the other side... The Jewish boys, these fishermen, they'd never been there. They fished on this side of the lake. They'd never been there. And here's a picture of our team. And our team was now standing up on a kind of a ridge on the other side. And over there on that side, over here, is where Capernaum and Nazareth and and where Mary Magdala, Magdalene, the city of Magdala, where she's from and all those different places. So, So there we are. And Jesus says this, leaving the crowd then, They took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were other boats with him. Now, now why does it say there were other boats with him? I mean, why would you expend energy telling us there were other boats? Because there's always other directions that you can go. You can get in a boat and go just about any different direction. But these guys were in the boat with Jesus. So you can choose in this life to get in a boat and to get in a crowd that doesn't serve the king of kings. You can choose to get in whatever boat it is that you want. And everybody in this country has a choice as to which boat in the storm you're going to get into. A furious squall came up. Now, how many of you have been in squalls? Your fishermen, your water people, your boaters? Raise your hands high. You know what this is like. It's terrifying. You've had water swamp your boat. You've had water come over the front of your boat. 
I never will forget when Emily and I were in the Keys with Phil and Julie Huff, and we were out 25 miles, and a serious, the storm of my life at that point came up. And we all got on life jackets, and we usually don't wear life jackets. I know, don't send me any emails. We should. I know, I know. I don't want to hear it. But we, but, but we got, I mean, I, I start singing out loud, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day you'll never forget. I mean, I start singing because I'm scared. And I'm trying to keep everybody in the boat calm. Probably is my issue, but I'm trying to keep everybody calm. And I thought to myself, are we going to get through this storm? I don't know if we're going to make it through this one or not. A serious squall came up. Waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. These are professional fishermen. These are men who make it. They're not like me. I'm an amateur fisherman. These are professional fishermen who know what they're doing, and they're rattled. Jesus is in the stern, he's in the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Were they frightened? Absolutely, they were frightened. They had a, had a reason to be. And you can just kind of picture Jesus like, like, like waking up, like getting the you know, stuff out of his eyes and kind of looking around, it's raining sideways, you know, and, and the guys are all amped up. And, and he's like... Um, you guys are like really scared, aren't you? And, and it's, like, it's like Jesus would go to Hurricane Irma. And 185 miles an hour winds are coming. And he just looks up and he said, that's about enough of you. Be still. And the wind and the waves quieted down. I'm getting in that boat. I'm getting in the boat with Jesus. There's multiple boats that you can get in in this life. But if I were you, well, you know what I would suggest. The wind died down, and it was completely calm. What a story. Then he said to his disciples, and we're going to camp out on this verse for just a couple minutes. He said, why are you so afraid? Now, now, why do you think, Jesus? I, I, got a medical sto- I got a medical storm. I just lost my job. I, I, I just lost my house. I, I just lost my marriage. I, I just lost. Why do you think I'm afraid? Because I'm in a storm. And storms frighten us. And there's nothing wrong with being scared. But Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do, do you still have like like no faith? Do you not know who I am? I can calm the wind and the waves. I can take care of every storm in your life. Now, what does this verse mean? Let's, let's circle it for just a minute and go, let's go around the barn and then we'll come in the front door. So I, I remember Sunday morning as we were scrambling and um, Erica and Jeff, my oldest and my son-in-law are going to meet us here at church. We've got my son-in-law-to-be and my youngest daughter. We've got Ethan and Danita and I at the house, and we're just scrambling. And we're loading stuff up in Andrew's truck, and we're loading stuff up in Ethan's big cargo van, and we're taking everything, everything we can just to share and supply. So they all, Ethan leaves, and Andrew and Emily leave, and, and Danita and I are the last ones in her SUV, fully packed out. And we back out of the driveway. And we roll down the window. We look at the house, not knowing what's going to happen. And she looks at me and she says, it's just sheetrock. It's just a house. And it is. 
But when you think about what's really important in life, you begin to realize that you're important. I'm important. Our our families are important. Our, Our stuff at that moment really doesn't matter nearly as much as the people in our lives. But they asked him earlier, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And so it must mean that there's something more important than this life. Jesus is trying to give us a vision of to what's really valuable. You've got 70 or 80 or 90 years on this earth, and you've got 70 or 80 or 90 billion years on the next life, and that's just a pregame warm-up. That's just the appetizer as we start the party. Now, now it's funny because Nina didn't say, you know, she said it's just sheetrock, but she didn't say, well, it's okay if we lose one of the kids. Right? Or it's okay if, she might be thinking it, it's okay if she loses me, but she didn't say that, all right? She, you know, and we got the dog and we got the cat, and I'm thinking, you know, we don't want to lose the dog, but the cat, well, this could be my opportunity, you know? It's, it's, I, I'm going somewhere with this. You know, no, I didn't say it. I didn't say a word. Been married 33 years. I'm smart enough not to say a word about the cat, right? And so what does this verse mean? It, it has to mean that it's not about this life. Now, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be prepared. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have cash. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have food. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have gas tanks filled up. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have an evacuation plan. That's not, what, that's not the point of this message. The point of this message is we just came through a storm, and probably about a third of you in this room are still in a storm. And the two-thirds of you that are not in a storm, you will be in a storm. And the rest of us in this room, we're coming in a storm, we're coming out of a storm, or we're going into one. Everybody in this room is going to have storms. The issue is not, do I have a storm? The issue is, what do I do? Can I go to the other side? Or do I stay in this boat and retreat and go back to the harbor, and I never grow, and I never change, and I never season, and I never mature? Wow. So let's talk about this for just a second. Really, what what is faith? I think faith is embracing the uncertainties of life. Life is uncertain. Relationships are uncertain. Money's uncertain. Business is uncertain. Friendships are uncertain. Housing's uncertain. What's not uncertain in your life and in my life? I think faith is embracing the uncertainties of life. It's actually a German physicist who helped me understand this. Let me read you a story. This will take about 90 seconds, but I want to read you a story about a 1932 German physicist. In 1932, a German physicist named Werner Heisenberg won the Nobel Prize for his theory of quantum mechanics. Later, another of his discoveries became one of the greatest scientific revolutions of the 20th century. For hundreds of years, now listen to this, Pay attention. This is, you got to lean up for this. Determinism ruled the day. For a hundred years, determinism ruled the day. Physicists believed in a clockwork universe that was measurable and predictable. Heisenberg pulled the rug out from under the scientific community. Here is his principle in a nutshell. We cannot know the precise position and momentum of a quantum particle at the same time. It appears to be in one place in one time. Sometimes matter behaves like a wave. It appears to be in several places at the same time, 
almost like a wave on a pond. It is the duality of nature. So here's the deal. I'm going to read this about three times because it took me five times to understand this verse, this sentence, okay? He says, the imprecise measurement of initial conditions precludes the precision predictions of future outcomes. Did anybody understand that? Good, good. One of you. All right, let me do it again. The imprecise measurement of initial conditions precludes the precision predictions of future outcomes. In other words, there will always be an element of uncertainty. That's the point. Now, here's what we tend to think. If I just had more faith, I would reduce uncertainty. That isn't true. Greater faith does not reduce uncertainty. How in the world can you reduce uncertainty? But you can be filled with fear or you can be filled with faith. It takes the exact same energy to have faith as it does fear. Which of the two do you want? We want faith, don't we? So many people believe faith reduces uncertainty. That isn't true. It embraces it. Your faith embraces uncertainty. I don't know the future, but I'm getting in the boat with Jesus. I don't know the future, but I'm going with the crowd. I'm leaving the crowd behind. See, he left the crowd behind, and I'm getting in the boat with Jesus. That's your choice. You can never control your life. Now, you can prepare, and you can make arrangements, and you can do really good things to help reduce risk, and you can do a lot of foolish things to increase risk, but you can never completely reduce uncertainty. So I have five suggestions for you. I have five suggestions on what to do with the certainty of uncertainty, okay? The first one is, is real, embrace relational uncertainty. You know what it does? It's called romance. And you embrace this. The choice is not to embrace people. The choice is to walk away from people. The choice is not to have friends. The choice is not to love. I'm suggesting that you embrace relational uncertainty. Embrace spiritual uncertainty. It's called mystery. I graduated from Bible college, and I thought I had all the answers. I'm 22 years old, 23 years old. I got all the answers. I got a four-year theology degree. Come ask me. I'll tell you. I know what I'm talking about. Three years later, I graduate from graduate school. I realize I don't even know all the questions. I don't know all the answers, but I'm getting in the boat with a guy who can say to the wind and the waves, be still. That's, that's as much as I can tell you. Embrace it. Embrace occupational uncertainty. It's called destiny. What is your destiny? We talked about being a top performer two weeks ago. You have a a role to play in life as a top performer. I would embrace emotional uncertainty. It's called joy. You can choose whether or not with the storms of your life to embrace fear or to embrace faith. And to have joy in the midst of your storms tells a whole lot about your faith and about where you put your energy. I would embrace intellectual uncertainty. It's called revelation. And we grow and we learn, and we learn. So, let's summarize this whole message in one sentence. Well, let's use a verse first. They were terrified. They asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Here's the whole point this morning. This is what Jesus must be saying. If it were me, I would live this life with the life to come in full view. Why would anybody live this life as an end in itself? That's one of the dumbest things anybody could ever do. 
Again, you've got 70 or 80 or 90 years. If it were me, I would encourage, I would implore you to live this life with the life to come. It's the life to come that Jesus is talking about. And so we embrace our faith and we embrace the uncertainties and we go forward with Jesus. Well, we got home from the storm on Monday and one of our neighbors from our church uh, lives beside us, wife and four kids and great neighbors, great harborsiders. We're over there borrowing sugar and they're coming over stealing eggs. You know, it's one of those kind of relationships where you're just coming back and forth, helping each other out. And um, on Saturday, he told me, he said, he said, we're not leaving. We're not leaving. We're staying in the community. He said, I feel like God's calling me to stay right here and help afterwards in the community. I said, that's great, man. If that's where God's leading you, that's, that's wonderful. So we get home Monday and um, start unpacking and trying to find a house. And, you know, it's a, it's a war zone, right? Just like your house. It's a war zone. Limbs and trees and stuff are down everywhere. Well, this guy, this neighbor of ours, goes across the street and two houses over to a police officer's house. Now, the police officer is married to a nurse, and the nurse is at the hospital. She hasn't been home for a couple days. And the police officer's worked, I think he said, 48 hours. And he's home now for a four-hour nap. So he comes home for four hours just to catch his breath. And while he's asleep, the neighbor that lives beside me that we borrow sugar from, and they get eggs from us, he's over at the police officer's yard starting to pull limbs. And I said to Danita, this man, our buddy, is over there. And she said, I'm in. So we get up and we go over there. And then the neighbors across the street from us start working on their yard. But I told them what we were doing, that he's a police officer. They knew that, has a four-hour nap. And so they stopped their yard, and now they're starting. And we're all cleaning up the cop's yard. It was awesome. Three hours later, we got his yard looking like, you know, a, a golf course. And he wakes up an hour later, and he's just overwhelmed. Of course, he hadn't slept much. And he's overwhelmed with emotion that neighbors would give three hours to clean up. And so here's the whole point of the story. Actually, we just kept going. We did four lawns all all around us. Uh, And it all got started because one man said, I can make a difference. You see, you can use a storm for an opportunity. And when Jesus said, I must go to the other side, Jesus always saw opportunity. Remember the hockey movie from 1980 when our hockey team beat the, the, the Russians? And the coach said, great, from great moments come great opportunities. And every storm in your life is a great opportunity for you to embrace the uncertainty and to embrace Jesus and, and to go with him in, in the boat. The poster child of all this is Moses. Every phase of Moses' life, there were storms. I mean, he's born in a storm. He almost gets drowned, you know, in the Nile River. And then at age 40, he kills the Egyptian. He has to run for his life. And now he's highly overqualified for 40 years to tend sheep. And finally, a bush catches on fire. And God says to him, it's time, Moses, for you to let my people go. But there were more storms. At age 80, 
Moses had the storms of his life, the ten plagues. He had Pharaoh's hard heart. And now he's got two or three million people he's leading. And there's an Egyptian army coming at him with a vengeance. And there's this wall of water in front of him. And he has to embrace the uncertainty of life and decide whether or not he's going to put his faith and his trust in his heavenly father. I'm going to ask you to sing this last song. You know this song well. And worship God and thank God and get yourself in that boat. Will you stand? Will you sing? Will you worship with us?